what's the kind of the end goal that each of these components are trying to drive the end goal that they are trying to drive is that how do we as humans move away from intuition based decision making to actually more fact and information based decision making Hi, everyone. Welcome into HashMap on Tap. I want to thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening to the show today. I'm Kelly Koleffel, and I'm really happy to be joined today by Manish Jatani. Manish is co-founder and CEO at Hevo Data. They are a Bay Area-based data integration platform. They move data into your cloud data warehouse of choice. Hevo Data provides reverse ETL capabilities on top of that. So think moving from your cloud data warehouse to some of the most popular SaaS applications to help operationalize your data sets. Prior to founding Hevo Data, Manish founded Spoonjoy, a venture-backed food delivery company, which was acquired by Grofer. So Manish, it is wonderful to have you on HashMap on Tap today. Hi, welcome into the show. And what are you drinking today? Thanks, Kelly, for inviting me to the show. I'm having my favorite drink, which is a filter coffee. Fantastic. Do you take it plain or do you put any kind of little sugar or anything like that in there? I quit sugar four years back. So you sound like uh, one of our co-founders, Paul, the same a couple of years ago, and he loved cappuccino with a lot of sweet in it, and uh, he's gone cold with uh, no sugar, and I think he's liking that approach. For me, I typically don't go sugar either. I've got a Costa Rican coffee today, and, and my wife has been going down the road a little bit to a little farmer's market, and they bring in some fresh cream from these Jersey cows in uh, LaGrange, Texas. I'm in the Houston area, but from LaGrange, Texas. And so we have this jug of this fresh cream, non-pasteurized, all that kind of stuff sitting in there. So I actually added a little dollop of that to my coffee today. It's really good. No sweetener or anything. And looking forward to sharing and enjoying a coffee together as we talk a little bit of Hevo data. Why don't you, Manish, take a moment little bit about your background, which I mentioned you. And so you were certainly technology, I guess, but food delivery to data integration. So tell us how you got there. And then a little bit about your current role too, as founder and CEO at Hevo today. I think kind of the story goes a long way back, even before I started Spoonjoy. I think it goes a little bit towards my childhood and where I would sort of like look at a problem in the world and try to see that how could we solve it. I remember this time when I was like five-year-old kid and I used to have this like in India. I mean, I grew up in India, so there was this whole water tanks at the top of your roof. And when it gets completely filled, you have to go and switch the power off so that it stops overflowing. And like when I was eight-year-old, I used to think that, hey, can we build something that the switch automatically kind of gets off? And like in those days, I used to like build electronic circuits where I could just have the two pins where the water flows, the circuit completes, and then there was an inverter switch which will switch the pump off. I built one of that when I was like, I think, 10 year old or something. So it has always been that you look at a problem and you see that, how can we I really solve it so that I don't have to do that? And it's fully automated. I think that kind of is ingrained a lot in the thought process. And even when either it was Spoonjoy or Hevo, it's always that you look at a problem and say that, hey, like at heart, I'm someone who is good with technology and understands and has the drive to solve problems. So that's been kind of the common factor in everything that I've done in life. With Spoonjoy, the whole thing was that our mission was, can we sort of like make people not have kitchen in their places and you could just like have homes which, which will be without kitchens. And anytime you want something, you could tap and you get something in say 15, 20, 30 minutes. That was the whole thing. And a lot of focus was around building the technology around it and less about the food. Were you, and I'm not familiar with Spoonjoy, did you connect to food service providers? So what you were building was the tech, but the the food was basically, I could choose anything that I wanted, just push a button and say, hey, I want this type of food or this type of cuisine. So what we were trying to do is replace the home kitchens. And the idea was that the restaurant food, at least in India, you can't consume that food uh, on a daily basis. It's it's not uh, fit for consumption on a regular basis. It's, it's spicy. It's a little bit of greasy. So 
what we did was we contracted with some of the kitchens and we hired some of the chefs and chefs would kind of prescribe how the food needs to be prepared what needs to be prepared what ingredients need to go so we were kind of a vertically integrated food delivery platform where we wanted to control the entire experience and not just uh, pick up from some other restaurant and deliver how did you recruit the chefs and the folks that were you know preparing when somebody ordered yeah so we got some of the most proficient chefs like one of our chefs that we recruited was from taj which is like a five star hotel chain and we basically got them interested in, for the mission that can we really sort of like i mean most most of the food that's available outside is not really good for health can we really transform all of that and really control every ingredient how it is prepared whether it's healthy or not so that got some of the people interested and it was kind of a apple and foxconn model where we were not really controlling the production of it we just had the uh, control in terms of the supervision it was someone else kitchen it was their staff but we would control in terms of how it needs to be made when it needs to be made what quality parameters need to be checked the hygiene etc so yeah kind of apple and foxconn model where in apple designs things but it is the foxconn which manufactures it we were kind of inspired by that model so you have this complete end-to-end -end food supply chain with SpoonJoy, and you bridge that into the data supply chain with, how'd you get Hevo started, Hevo Data? How'd you get it started? Take me through kind of that initial concept to making it a reality. Yeah, I think it's a kind of an interesting story because like when I was running SpoonJoy, I'm someone as an individual who is very, I mean, I tend to sort of think very scientifically in a very structured way. And every time someone will come up to me that, hey, we should change this. And I'll ask them that, how will you measure the change is positive or not? Like what data would you look at? How will you measure it? And oftentimes I will realize that people would not really have access to the data where they could scientifically see that whether the change that they are going to make, whether it will affect things positively or not. And we were trying to solve this problem internally before we could actually build something to solve this we got acquired by Grofers and I was heading product team over there. And there I saw the same problem that people were sort of like resorting to taking decision based on the gut intuition and not really looking at the facts on the table. And that's where I kind of started seeing that this is a big problem that most people sort of who want to take decisions looking at the data really don't have access to the data. And we also started exploring what technology tools could we buy to enable it. But we realized that most of those tools were built for mostly technical people. So you have to, your, your business teams will go and wait for the engineering teams to set those tools up and get them access to the data. So they were always dependent on the engineering teams. And I realized that in most companies, the engineering is the most care bandwidth available because they are focused on shipping the product uh, and all these ad hoc things are not a priority for them so we thought that what if we could really solve this problem to a point where uh, the users within the organization who need to use data to make decisions don't have to rely on the engineering team i think that was the very very core to what we've done ever since that how do we really make it simple intuitive so that eventually everyone should be able to use that and the analogy that I tend to think about it is think of smartphones, right? So if there were no smartphones, most people in the world would not have been able to connect with the internet because the form factor of the technology became so simple that I don't need to learn how to operate a Mac or a PC. I can just buy a phone and it's very simple and intuitive. That makes everyone like in a position where they are able to access the power of technology. And we had a very similar point of view when it came to the tools and technologies that existed in the data space. We said that, yes, things are possible, but we want to make them super simple, intuitive, so that anyone should be able to use that. So you mentioned so many things there. I want to dig into for just a minute. And I guess in the context of what you see, Manish, with your clients today, the biggest data challenges, I heard you talk about this heavy dependency on engineering teams. You talked about the level of complexity. Are those two of the bigger challenges you see across clients? Are there other things that stand out to you 
as it relates to not only data integration, but trying to drive these data-driven outcomes and decisions? Yeah, it's a very interesting question, actually. So if you look at the end goal of everything that we hear about the modern data stack, ETL, warehouse, data quality, what's the kind of the end goal that each of these components are trying to drive? The end goal that they are trying to drive is that how do we as humans move away from intuition-based decision-making to actually more fact and information-based decision-making? And it's it's not sort of like something which is a very tactical shift. It's a very fundamental shift where, where how you tend to think about it in terms of deciding on everything, how do you take facts and information into account? So these technology components are just like a micro step in that direction of the change that we are going to witness in terms of how it is going to happen. For example, today we like go to any uh, place, we want to use Google Maps. We are so habituated to using Google Maps or any other maps on our mobile devices to reach there. I think it's the same and that's just kind of a become a habit. So if you see all these tools and technologies that exist today, ETL warehouse, they are all part of the same path, but there's a huge way to go. So once you get the data into the warehouse using a pipeline solution like Hevo, then the whole thing is that how do you align everyone within the organization to come together and start incorporating the use of data in their decision-making across all the decisions that they make. I think that's where the whole bunch of journey is left to be uncovered for our customers. And so many people want to be a part of that journey now within almost every organization. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that doesn't want to be part of that data conversation. The challenge, like you said, is how do you keep it, I don't want to say keep it at a level, but have it in a way... Present it in a way, make it consumable in a way that the the broad masses, I'm not a Java Scala developer, right? I don't want to have to learn those languages in order to consume data today. How can I do that in a way that democratizes it to a degree across? And it's a lot easier said than done, I think. And to your point, it seems like we talk to folks almost on a daily basis that have had some great tools, great technologies for a year, two years, sometimes three years or more, but they're still struggling with getting to those, as you talked about, that end goal fact, information-based decision-making based on data. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a long journey. I think we are just getting started with that. And for any transformational change to happen, Early on, there is a lot of hype and there's a lot of excitement. And then eventually you see that that kind of settling in and people trying to figure out that how do we really achieve the end business outcome? I mean, using data is all great, but that's that's a sort of a means to an end. And that in itself is not an end. So in the early part, when, when there is any uh, fundamental shift in the technology landscape, you will see that a lot of people get excited and try and try their hands on. And once that settles in, you will see that people actually focus on the business outcome and then they specifically only look for aspects that are actually going to be valuable and uh, use them to achieve their end outcome. Oh, that's good. Manish, also you mentioned, and I think I alluded to in the in the opener too, so Hevo Data, you're helping clients get data into their cloud data platforms in a very usable, trusted way, but you're also taking data out and helping operationalize some of those other SaaS-based applications. Uh, take me through both pieces of that, especially that uh, that reverse ETL. I don't necessarily see that a lot with the front-end side of it. You see some uh, vendors that are only doing maybe reverse ETL, but not the other piece and vice versa. Talk to me about how you came about to do with Hevo Data both ends of the equation. Yeah, I think it's again a very interesting aspect I think when you see the technology starts with sort of the fragments, if you see how iPhone looks today compared to you go 10 years back where you see that we were using a music player to listen to music, we were using phone and using a communicator device, but today you have like one compact device, which pretty much does everything that you want to do. I think with the whole data landscape, we are like in a very similar stage. You have ETL, reverse ETL, transformation, etc. But as I see, as things evolve, it's all going to be consolidated because for the end customer, it is not a great position to be in where they have to buy various different kind of solutions and make them work together, which is good for the vendors because each of them is getting the customers. 
but think from a customer's end point of view what they want is something that will work very seamlessly and that will pretty much do everything that they want to do and that's where we think that we really want to solve the customer's problem in a more integrated fashion and where etl and reverse etl kind of becomes very complementary because unless you have all your data into your warehouse there is no way reverse etl is just going to be useful so first you have to consolidate all the data derive certain insight out of it and only then you can make that insight actionable so the dependency on the reverse etl of the reverse etl on the etl is very high and hence it logically makes sense that the etl player themselves offer the solution yeah, and you've got, you know, when you look at both ends of that, I mean, there are, there's a significant amount of potential integrations that, and, and you have a lot today with Evo Data. How do you, I'm just interested, how do you prioritize those integrations? What's next? What's coming up? How do you roadmap them? Is this strictly based on client demand and what they're asking for? Do you have some that you just go, oh, I know we've got to get that into the, into the plan. How's Evo Data doing that today? I think there is a lot of like 80-20 principle that applies in the integrations as well. So for example, if you take sales CRM, if you if you got Salesforce covered and if you got HubSpot covered, you pretty much got like 70-80% of the market already covered. If you talk about the ad networks, if you cover Google, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snap, TikTok these days, Pinterest, you pretty much got most of the things covered. So that's how sort of we thought about it that when we went about this, we picked each category and decided that let's pick the top ones in each of them and cover categories. Once you get to that critical mass, then your customers drive the roadmap because like each customers will have certain requirement. And now that we have so many customers, we can actually talk to all these customers and identify that which ones are the ones which are most popular. So within the product, we have an option where as a customer, you can say that I want this integration. And depending on which integrations our most customers are asking, they automatically get prioritized for our integrations team to go and build up on that. How do you facilitate customer interaction these days on that topic? I know, you know, back in the day, I've been around a long time, you had these, and it still has a lot of value. You'd, you'd bring customers in for an advisory session, advisory board. Today, you know, you have these really active communities, maybe that have, you know, hundreds or even thousands of folks on a Slack community, maybe use Discord, that kind of thing. What's working well to facilitate that client community feedback for Hevo Data today? How are you doing it? Yeah, I think this we've got a very interesting perspective around this. I think the whenever someone is communicating something, the context is very important. When you are using something and you will have an impression or a feeling when you are doing something and you almost instantly want to pass on that feedback. And if there is someone to listen to you, you actually get the most granular information at that stage. After I'm gone through that stage, and later on, if I want to do that, it I, I might not as a user remember everything. So we've got like within the product, all little snippets where you could actually chat with an engineer. So you, you when you're using something, if you have certain feedback that you want to pass on, you can click on the chat option and chat with us. And then someone from our side will engage in a conversation with a customer to understand where they are coming from, what they are trying to accomplish. and that goes as a feedback in the roadmap, and that's how we prioritize things. I like that. I like that. How does the engineer, is it just through that chat function? Will the engineer set up a, a Zoom or Google Meet or something like that to do more of a personalized type interaction with the client that's reaching out? Yeah, so the follow-on conversations are very personalized. So let's say we identify that, oh, this suggestion looks very great. We want to learn more about it. So we reach out to those users back again and seek a time appointment and get on a call with them and understand more deeply and more intimately that what's the problem they're trying to solve and what are the various options. Sometimes like customers know the problem, maybe they, they won't articulate it as well, but because you hear this problem from so many different customers, you can frame it in the right way and then come up with two, three different solutions and collect the customer feedback understand their perspective around it. And that way you can actually make your product development very, very scientific. I like it. Nish, a lot of tools obviously out there in the ETL and reverse ETL space. It's definitely a growing market. 
Are there two or three things you would say that really make Hevo Data, either the technology, the approach, or the people different from any other tools that are focused in the same space? Yeah, I think quite a few of them. So the, I mean, as a product, what we fundamentally believe is that easy should be simple and complex should be possible. So what this means is that when you're starting on your journey to use the product, it should be very simple so that you don't get intimidated. You can start solving your use cases. But as your requirement evolve, as you're trying to solve more and more complex use cases, the product should be capable to allow all those functionalities. The classic example is Microsoft Excel. If you are like in a fifth grade, you can still use the Excel. If you are an advanced analyst who want to write macros, Excel still allows that. So that is one very, very important aspect that we've seen sets us apart compared to any other ETL player. For example, in the most products available in the market, they typically take the data and dump as is in a warehouse, right? In a lot of cases, it works fine, but there are scenarios where you actually want to filter certain information out before it lands into the warehouse because of data privacy reasons or data security reasons. Uh, and we have components and no code layer where you can actually have more control over what information lands in your warehouse, in what condition it lands, in what condition it doesn't land, right? So you can actually control a lot within Hivo, which is not possible in uh, other solution possible in the market. So to start with, both will look same, but as you go along, the extent of flexibility that Hivo offers is unmatched. The second aspect is the usability because our focus is, because our belief is that this entire market is going to go in a direction where more and more non-technical people should be able to solve this problem, right? And hence our focus on the usability, on onboarding, on simplicity is very different. Now, every, every software will say that, yes, we are simple intuitive, but there is a certain level of obsession required to get every single thing right. Just to give you an example, when someone finds an error, uh, if they've entered the wrong input, we don't ask them to log a support ticket. We don't ask them to click on a documentation and read through a documentation. We've engineered a solution where we exactly find out from the document that what are the changes that user need to do so that they can get this thing moving, right? And it has taken a lot of engineering effort but that delight when someone's stuck and instantly you can surface the right information within the product. They don't even have to go to the documentation page where they can actually solve the problem is a great delight for the customer. And at times if they cannot solve that, they can actually get connected to a real engineer, not the bot within a minute and get their problem resolved. And that's a huge delight for a customer. I think that the way you have that set up where I can connect directly into engineering, really, really attractive. Loved a lot of what you said there. I was also interested, you mentioned filtering. It sounded like prior to ingest into the cloud data platform. And I, I thought that was a really interesting concept too. I was talking to somebody the other day as it related to privacy and how can we avoid any personally identifiable information that we don't want or anything that we don't want? How can we filter that up front so that we don't have to deal with it after the fact? And I, I almost, I think I heard you say there are some ways to do that. There are some controls using Hevo data to address those types of use cases. Yeah, that's right. I think that's very, very important in a privacy first world that we are moving towards because when the data lands into the warehouse, it's accessible to much broader audience within the organization. And you want to have more controls over which information is accessible to whom. And you should like have options before the data lands into the warehouse that what data should be there. Yeah, agree. Can you give the audience uh, some maybe types of companies, you don't have to mention company names if you don't want, that are working with you that are taking full advantage of the Hevo data approach and some of the benefits that they're seeing right now? Yeah, so now I think we are close to about 1,000 plus companies using our product. And that's across close to 50 plus countries. So we've got wide variety of industry segments from where our customers come from. Typically, we cater to mid-size tech first companies that's the core segment because that's a segment which is the first one to adopt to this whole cloud environment much better than 
any of the legacy players because the legacy players have like a lot of on-prem systems, etc. But the new age companies are setting the entire thing on the cloud infrastructure in itself. So that's the focus area for us. Yeah, no, that's good. And maybe going back to some of those earlier things that you talked about, especially some of the like the childhood problem that you solved with the water tank and being able to do the auto switch off. Very interested to hear from you. When you look at product design with Hevo Data, what for you personally, Manish, are the design principles that you put at the very top of the list when you're designing software like Hevo? I think when it comes to thinking about the software design, I think we tend to sort of look at the user journey, that what exactly is user trying to accomplish? And a lot of thoughts and research go into just getting that part correctly. Do not assume anything, like talk to as many as customers you can talk to, come back with a clear hypothesis, come back with clear assumptions, go back, validate that, and work backwards from that, that if this is the user trying to do What's the most optimal way for them to achieve that, right? And also look at a lot of data. So for example, if there are two options possible and the general sense is that, okay, let's put these two options on the screen. But what we go back and do that, deeply understand that in what situation, which user is likely to select which option. And then we try to present those two options, different options to different people depending on their past action. Now, it's such a simple thing. You could actually put two buttons and let user decide. But what we want to do is that delight the user to a point where we want to understand that what's the thing that they're trying to do and how do we present that thing in a most simple way possible so that they can start moving or progressing much faster. Love it. You guys started in 2017, I believe. And how long did, I'm just curious, how long did it take you to get to the point where you felt like you were really delighting customers? It sounds like you got a lot of companies right now, a thousand, but maybe that first one wasn't overly, I don't know, maybe it was. How long until you got comfortable that, yes, Hevo Data, we are delighting our customers now? I think that has always been kind of the principle from day one in itself that no matter how many customers we have, we have to really delight the customer we i mean i so many times remember we started that customers will sort of like have some issue and we'll wake up at 2 a.m and try and fix the problem for the customers even if it was not critical because we realized that i mean in a such a a crowded market that we live in today having customers really really love your product and what you do is the most important thing that you can do to your business no amount of advertising no amount of sales effort can really bring customers because I mean I, I distinctly remember that once we were kind of in our in middle of a fundraise and one of the venture funds did a kind of a customer calls and they called 12 customers and out of those 12 customers five said that they used Hevo in their previous organization and when they came to the new organization they replaced the existing solution and got Hevo on board so we don't really look at company as our customer we look at that user and we just want to build long-term relationship with that user because that user will go from one company to the other company that user will take us along with them if they really believe that we are going to be a great partner to them i think that's the one of the most fundamental things that we've done in terms of thinking about everything how should we build a business no, that's terrific. The users typically, are they data engineers, analysts? Who's the typical persona for Hevo Data customers that, that's working with the software? That's very interesting, actually. I mean, we've seen a shift over there over the last two to three years. If you see two years back, it used to be like 90% data engineers. And gradually, it started. we started seeing the mix of data engineers and business analysts. And now, if I look at last six to 12 months, it's actually three personas, engineers, analysts, and data ops people, like people who are part of sales team, people who are part of marketing team. So we are seeing a very gradual shift towards a demography which is not technical, which otherwise would never have been able to use ETL solutions that were built in the past. So we are kind of seeing the shift from happening from engineers to the citizen users who are trying to solve their problems. 
I really like the way you have the pricing model set up. You've got that nice free tier that includes a million events, unlimited free sources, and I've got a middle tier that's kind of a starter. I get a little bit more, and then obviously a business tier with custom. Just interested from that commercial perspective, what have you learned over the last few years? What's your perspective on what has worked best? And just curious what you've had to adjust and tune to really not only optimize the product for the market that you want, but but that commercial model too. Any any major learnings there, Manish? Yeah, I think one of the important thing that we've learned and which which at one point in time was, I mean, that actually forced a lot of our larger competitors to align their pricing to what the customer wants. So one of our large customers had this annual contract, no trial sales driven model. And our approach was entirely different. We didn't want customers, actually, even today, we don't ask customers to sign up for annual contract or anything of that sort. We want to earn their business every single day. So if we are not living up to their expectation, we would want them to fire us today than a year later. So we don't want to sort of bind them in an annual contract so that they can't go. That basically always puts pressure on us that we have to live up to the customer's expectation every single day. The second aspect was that aligning the pricing based on the customer's value and not necessarily just trying to build predictability to our model. So if the customer is going to use lesser of data, let them use less of data, pay less. As they go along, as they grow, we will grow along with them. So in this entire model, we never sort of optimize for the SaaS metrics. What we optimize for is what is the right thing for the customer. And it's a classic example. If you look at AWS, how uh, it kind of priced its model compared to the way back in the day when it started, the other enterprise players were used to have licensing, etc. And AWS said that if you want to spend $5 a month, that's okay too. And kind of we, we look, we really like that model. Yeah, I love that. What stood out to me as you were just talking, I said, Hevo data, you can vote with your pocketbook every single day almost. That's what I hear you really describing. What's your, I mean, this is kind of off the cuff, you can answer if you want to, what's your net revenue retention? Uh, sounds like it's probably pretty high. Yeah, it's quite high. It's actually, I mean, we don't have a lot of focus on customer success expansion because the product is good, but it is north of 125 plus. Yeah, that's awesome. Fantastic. What uh, you, you also mentioned um, some of the fundraisers that you've done. You guys, uh, I think, raised a total of forty-three million over four rounds. Did a December Series B. Just your perspective. What do you like? What's most difficult about fundraising? What's most satisfying about it? Maybe getting the the check in the bank. Just your thoughts on fundraising and uh, raising capital in general. I think one thing which has been very very strange and interesting both at the same time for us is that we kind of never went out to raise capital. Like we are kind of the founders who are very heads down building the product and focusing on the customer delight and not really like we never ran an active fundraise process. Every time we got an inbound interest and we keep getting continuous inbound interest. And what we really optimize for is that the right set of partners and each of the round we had like multiple offers, but we never ended up taking the highest valued option. We always optimize for the right set of partners who align with our philosophy of what's the right thing for the customer, what kind of company we are trying to build, right? And which is which is what we really like about when we get a partner on board, who, who then we don't really have to align to. I mean, if they understand what we are trying to build and then they sign up to be part of this journey, the journey is so much smooth. They understand what we need to do in the long-term perspective. I think that's most important. Valuation, et cetera. I mean, you might sort of like dilute a little bit more, but personally speaking for me, it is never about money. It is about creating a legacy. And I mean, if you make a little less money, I mean, it doesn't matter because for my lifestyle, I really don't need that kind of money. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's it, less about getting that check signed by an investor. So specifically for you and Hevo Data, what do you look for? It, let's say, you know, you you have this group of investors out here. You're having these conversations. What are you going to look for beyond the check that says this is a good match? What's somebody going to bring to the table that that's going to really help you? I think the number one thing that I look for is authenticity. I really don't want to sort of like go up and like 
continue be in a sales mode that hey you know what we are doing great this month will be great etc i i typically want the partners who i can be very honest very authentic and say things as they are and not try to do an expectation management i mean if there is something going great i'm happy to share that something going bad i would be the first person at the very minute try and tell them that hey this is not going well right and not everyone sort of like has that kind of the appetite for that way of working but i tend to get along well with people with whom i can be very authentic and very honest what's your cadence on communication with with your investor community today that's part of hevo data i mean is this a day that you're slacking them daily what's the typical type of process i think it varies from investors to investors typically some people like want just a business update for them we send like a monthly business update it's a very 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 elaborate update not just an mis but we call out what's like the notes start what's not going well a lot of it about it what's going well what's ahead of us etc and then there are people on the board who i just like enjoy brainstorming the problems and how they see it and they also like love being part of it for example if if there's someone senior that i'm trying to hire and he's not fully convinced on the space that they should be getting into then there are investors i make them talk to so that they could really hear their perspective and get a broader perspective so i think it varies from person to person but uh, i mean i i i'm a firm believer that you have to maintain a great relationship even from the people who you take money or even if there are people who you've not taken money from for whatever reason right because at the end of it all we are trying to i mean it's not sort of like a zero sum game so y- you have to be of help to others and when you need help you have to go and ask for help i think that's kind of a mindset i cultivate you've had a tremendous amount of success so far i'm interested was there anything back in 2017 that you look back and you go hmm, i had this thought that i might not should move forward with hevo data was there anything there or was this just all systems go we know we're going to do it I think it was very interesting because at that point in time a lot of people said that hey why do you want to like build an ETL company in in the current age and time this is a solved problem and there are like bunch of very well established players why would you do that you are a smart founder you will do something will write a check and I was very clear that because this was my second startup and I did not want to do for the sort of like just driven by the opportunity i wanted to really pick up a problem that i truly truly care about in life right and i just wanted to spend my time solving that problem i mean if we do that well if it's a hard enough problem it's a big enough problem like the success will come but i was not trying to chase the success which is very like not a typical way of thinking when you start i mean when i last time started i was thinking hey this is a big market we build a product we'll capture a market the second time around my thought process was very different my thought process was that possibly like if you are fortunate you will solve one problem that will really really have a large impact even after you are gone from the world and i i was very particular about that what is that one problem that i am willing to commit 15 years of my prime career to that and helping people make better decision is something that i thoroughly enjoy and hence starting on this was like kind of always a no brainer irrespective of what people advised well you entered into a market for sure that it was known right i mean data integration challenges have been around for a long time so it was nice that you didn't have to really educate anybody i mean obviously a different approach but you didn't have to educate anybody on the problem which is great i'm interested though because i'm thinking back 2017 and i know where i was in 2017 i was fully immersed in the hadoop space at that point and when i look at the data platforms at the time that was where the data integration challenges where it was let's get everything let's collect everything in hadoop when you started hevo back in 2017 was the mindset that hadoop is going to continue to go on for the foreseeable did you have an inkling that you know the redshifts and snowflakes and big queries and synapses and so forth were going to come along so quickly and just cu- curious your perspective on on that back in 2017 Yeah I think I mean we I mean for a very long time we just had one integration as a destination which was the redshift and I could very strongly feel that this this is where the market is going to go I think if you look at the tech history of the technology 
it starts with the feasibility and it ends it at the accessibility. So first thing is that when you look at a problem, the first question is that can this problem be solved or not? So it's a feasibility question. But as you as the technology matures, the market matures, what finally end solution looks like is can we make this solution simple enough that anyone should be able to use it and it is accessible to everyone? And my my belief in this entire data space has been that if you can really simplify things, you will actually unlock a big market. And if you are the first ones to do that, you have an unfair advantage of capturing that market. Right. So even today, my belief is that the way we see this data landscape today is just a point in time view of it. Four or five years later, it will not be so complex, no, not so fragmented. We will see more integrated approach, which is optimized for the end user to a point where the specialized skills required to operate these systems would not be there. Hey, let me ask you, you've been around for a while in this space and put the ETL, reverse ETL category to the side for the moment. Uh, are, is there another emerging technology category in the data space that you've got your eye on? Not not so much in the context of Hevo data, but you're just interested in, in where it's going, some of the companies that are in that space, anything that catches your eye? I think data quality is something that I am personally very, very fascinated about. And I believe that that is a very cornerstone to every other thing, right? Because you can have off your warehouse, all of your ETL, reverse ETL, but if as a user, you are not able to trust your data, nothing else matters. And it's a very, it's not a straightforward problem in itself, because when you're talking about a data quality, it is a very domain specific, it's a very context specific. And I mean, if, if that field or that category in itself evolves, I think it will have a huge, huge impact on what everyone is trying to achieve towards the end goal. Any companies in that space that you feel like we should be keeping an eye on that you really like? I think it's a fairly early stage. Still, people are figuring out what's the right way to go about it. There are a bunch of companies in this space, but I would say it's a fairly, fairly early stage for that as a category. Yeah, and I think it's also something that a, a company like Hevo Data can help address as well. And we talked about a little bit early on, how can I help right in the, uh, even prior to ingesting into the data warehouse around privacy data? For, I mean, that's a form of data quality. So I like that. I, I agree with you. I mean, that it's really the first uh, step. It's it's the step. You mentioned foundational. You use the word, oh, you use the word cornerstone, I think, to everything else that you do. Let's see. Hey, anything that, from Spoonjoy to Hevo Data, that you said, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this in with me." I, I feel like we did it really well at Spoonjoy. I want to now do the same thing at Hevo, and and the reverse of that as well. Anything that you said, eh, you know, we did it at Spoonjoy, but I wasn't really happy with it. I don't want to do that at Hevo. I'll first start with the things that I would not do. I mean, which we did not do was, I mean. Like the problem that we were trying to solve at Spoonjoy was a very, very interesting problem. And very quickly we realized that it's a great problem to solve, but it, it will not have a lot of business value per se, right? And we could feel on the ground because you are so close to the reality, we could feel that, hey, this is not what is going to be a great business. But everyone around, hey, this is a great space. We should like invest more and this company will take off, this business will take off, but on the ground, you feel that the fundamentals are missing. We are just running, uh, I mean, we are burning the venture money and it is not going to lead to a great outcome. And, but then you listen to everyone else say, I mean, kind of keep scaling at some magical scale, automatically it will become a great business. I could feel all along, but never had the courage to say that, hey, I mean, there are so many people who've seen so many of businesses, maybe they are wrong, I'm feeling it. So maybe I didn't have that courage to like take a pause and say that, you know what, irrespective of what the market is saying, we should be sure of what we feel and take a call on that, right? So I think that's the, one of the most fundamental cornerstone, I would say not just in my like venture journey, but in general in life that you have to trust your instinct. You know, that's really interesting. You talked about courage and, and what you described. And you guys had, you had an exit event. You had an acquisition. Spoonjoy was acquired. But I, as you're talking, 
I'm thinking whether it's a a product uh, or or a particular approach or even the company overall, having that courage is the word you use to either pivot, do something different, say, oh, this just is not going to work. As you said, trust your gut instinct, really difficult to do in the face of, you know, a lot of other uh, discussions or opinions and things, especially with something that you've created from scratch, makes it really difficult. Interesting. What about something that you feel like, hey, we did really well at Spoonjoy, whether it's an approach, concept, a culture, people, anything like that, that you said, I would like to bring that in, or I did bring that into Hevo Data. I think one additional point over here was that we actually had an investment offer for additional few million dollars, and we said no to it, although we were just six months away from running out of the money. And I went back and told to my investors that, I mean, you've already invested a million dollars. I can take a few more million dollars, but I don't feel right because I really don't believe that this is going to become a great business. And I just want to be upfront with you. I don't want you to be spending more money on or investing more money on that. I think eventually we mustered up the courage to say no to it. And it was quite kind of a strange for them because we were just like six months away from uh, running out of the money. We got decent acquisition offer. But when we were taking those decisions, it could have just been like, I mean, we might have to had to shut the startup as well. But we said that what is right thing is the right thing. And we can't just sort of like keep our eyes closed when we see the reality right in front of us. How long did you debate either with yourself or with other co-founders about actually having that conversation with existing investors? Was this a really quick decision? Was this something you agonized over for you know weeks or a couple of months? I think it was about a two week window where I was just like debating on both sides in my head. And then I started talking to more and more people. And I felt that ultimately it's a long term thing. I mean, personal credibility, integrity is the most important thing. And that is what we are doing everything for. So if I feel it, at least I should share a view with them. I I was happy to listen to them if they had a different point of view or if I was missing something from my perspective. And they also appreciated the sort of the candidness at which I approached everything and uh, uh, expressed my own point of view on that. It's probably, I would guess, maybe easier to have the, you know, make the decision to have the conversation than it was to make the decision in the beginning with yourself and say, okay, we really have to do something else. Something needs to change. Oh man, we could go on and on on that. Hey, let me ask you though, change topics just a little bit. Something you feel like you're most proud of so far at Hevo Data and the opposite of that, or not the opposite, but but something that's been really tough that you've had to do so far at Hevo. I think one thing that I'm really proud of is the team that we built and the culture, which is very purpose-driven, right? So many times, like, uh, this is very interesting that every time we've raised a fundraise and it has had a very low uptake internally, no one is excited over you fundraise, but every time a customer says that, We've tried four different products and your was the best. And there are there's more engagement within the internal Slack group when a customer praises what we are doing compared to when we've raised the capital or done anything. I really feel happy about that mindset of the team that we build where we are not looking for external signals that, oh, we've raised capital and valuation, et cetera, which is obviously great. It's It's a milestone. But these are all seasonalities. Along enduring businesses will go all kind of ups and down cycles. And we, sh- we shouldn't just get worried about what we are doing. I mean, our belief of what we, the path on which we are is right or wrong shouldn't depend on these external validations. Our customers should decide whether we are on the right track or not. And I think, I mean, when, when there is so much of capital in the market, having a team which firmly believes in this philosophy I think is something that I'm, I feel very happy about. Oh, that's fantastic. And I know we're right at the top here. You have a, just another 60 to 120 seconds for a lightning round? Yeah. All right. These are, these are easy. Give me a technology that you can't live without in your role at Hevo Data. Call me an old school, but I really love Google Docs. I mean- I it, do too. I'm there with you. It I loves, love it. It allows you to collaborate with people very easily. I tell you what, that collaboration aspect, when you don't have it on a particular technology, you immediately go, how in the world do I live without it? So I'm right there with you. Hey, what time of the day, Manish, are you most productive and most creative? 
yeah i think when i wake up early and most people haven't woken up so where i really don't get distracted i am not i don't have to answer anyone i can just be in my zone very very early in the morning and at least finish half of my day before everyone else wakes up you feel like you're most creative in the morning too or is that a different time of day yes and then i went go for my daily run and that's again meditative because i it helps me rearrange all my thoughts in a sequence which basically makes a lot more sense so across the day you have so many thoughts but when you're going for a run those thoughts get organized in a most constructive and creative way this next one should be really easy for you as a as a uh, founder of spoonjoy you have a favorite cook at home meal or takeout delivery meal that you enjoy any day of the week cook at home <laughs> i like it i like it what about when you if you do, put your phone to the side, laptop to the side. Do you have a go-to thing that you enjoy leisure-wise for unplugging from technology for just a little while? I think the most interesting thing for me is running. So I, I love to run and that sort of like helps me unplug a lot. Yeah. Is there a particular distance that you, that's kind of your sweet spot? I think I run about six miles a day. Oh, wow. Very nice. Last question. Is there another company whether in the data space or technology in general, or even outside that you're watching closely right now. I'm inspired by Stripe. Awesome. Manish, this has been fantastic. For the, uh, for the HashMap on Tap audience, I mean, Hevo Data, 1,000 companies, 50-plus countries, a lot of really cool stuff that they're doing to, to simplify your ability to do ETL and reverse ETL. Manish, thank you so much for joining the show today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Kelly, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I do really enjoyed our conversation today. It was great. We'll, we'll keep up with everything going on at Hevo Data. Thanks, everybody, for listening in today. We appreciate each one of you and would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Send us any feedback or comments. We'd love to hear from you. And we will see you soon on another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap ONTAP page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.